Welcome to the White Spring Bunker. These halls were built to safeguard some of the most prestigious members of the United States government. Now we are all that remains. Though we are always looking for men and women capable of helping us restore what has been lost. In return, we offer this, our refuge from the world above. Please take your time and look around. We've made great efforts to restore this place to its former glory. Welcome, member, to our little enclave. Welcome back, members. As always, I am the Operative, your designated tour guide and host here at the White Spring. Lieutenant Colonel Valeria, despite losing an eye, is back running operations for the new enclave. Pirate jokes aside, she is more determined than ever to reclaim Appalachia from the monsters. But first, she has some personal business to attend to. A light snow was falling across the still beautifully manicured lawns of the White Spring Resort. The various Protectrons and Mr. Handys going about their business as though nothing had happened, certainly not the apocalypse we now find ourselves living through. The Great War may have devastated the country, but at the White Spring, it still felt like pre-war, or close to it. Minus, of course, the random encounters with ghouls, mole miners, super mutants, and the occasional giant flying bat things, also known as scorch beasts. Lieutenant Colonel Valeria, in her dress uniform, walked slowly across the lawn, the frosted grass crunching under her boots. It took tremendous willpower to keep her from reaching up and scratching the side of her face. The sutures still itched like hell, and her new eye patch rubbing against the wounds didn't help matters. Dr. Harefield told her it might take several months until the replacement eye would be ready, but it certainly couldn't come soon enough. She held a small bouquet of flowers in her hands. It was strange, after all these months, but it felt like the right thing to do. The Mr. Handy Gardener had been very apologetic that he couldn't find more blooms, but Val could only imagine the lengths it must have gone to scour the grounds to find these. It was sometimes hard to remember that they were just machines, as lifelike as they appeared to be. Valeria ended her walk in front of two freshly covered graves, each with its own headstone. Here, amongst the rows of bushes in the ash rose garden, her parents had finally been brought home. Even though she had told Modus where her parents died that day months ago at the hands of the scorched, she never asked or even went back to recover the bodies. Not that she didn't think about it or want it, but she had been trained by her parents to stay on the mission, that the mission always came first. Modus, never one for sentimentality as it was not in his programming, took it upon himself instead to rely on logic. Providing closure to his field commander was the rational and logical choice to ensure that she was not distracted. A patrol of enclave bots was dispatched to the location near Somerville, and they had returned with their parents' remains. It wasn't much, as the weather and the wildlife had been busy, but there were personal effects brought back as well, which was enough for final identification. The funeral consisted of just Valeria and a Mr. Handy acting as the chaplain. Even Lilith stayed away, as she knew this was something that her friend needed to do on her own. She would comfort her friend later if she needed it, or be prepared to raise holy hell too, if she thought that that would help cheer Val up. After the short ceremony, the metallic boxes containing the remains had been taken away by Enclave Assaultrons to be interred, and Valeri would follow soon after. And now here she stood, having finally accomplished what her parents tasked her with, but not having the pleasure of experiencing it with them. She walked over to run her hand along the headstones, using her fingers to trace the words etched there. Major Albert Faustina, United States Army, born April 3, 2042. Died November 14th, 2102. Soldier, patriot, and loving father and husband. Captain Beatrice Faustina, United States Army. 
born September 20th, 2047. Died November 14th, 2102. Soldier, mother and wife. God bless America. Valeria had never referred to her parents by their names. It was always sir and ma'am. And as much as she felt their loss, she could stand proud that they had given her the skills and dedication to survive. She hoped that they knew that she had made it, and that ultimately they would be proud of her and the work that she was doing here. Placing the flowers on the graves, she stood back, solemnly in the cold. She spoke to them, just as if they were there to hear her words. Sir? Ma'am? I miss you. But I brought you home. Or at least to the only home that really mattered. And you were right. This is the cause to which I have dedicated my life. I only hope that I can live up to your memory and build that better future you always told me about. It is going to be hard. And I've already done such horrible things. And will keep having to do those things if we're to come out the other side of this crucible of better people. You always told me that the end justifies the means and that for the greater good, some bad would have to be done in its name. Sir, you were right. And I can live with that. For both of you, I will make sure the Enclave lives. And America rises again. I love you. Rest in peace. A single tear ran down the colonel's cheek. She wiped it away, stood ramrod straight, and gave her parents a final salute. Turning away from the graves, Valeria retraced her steps through the garden back to the bunker entrance. It was a rare show of emotion for her, but now she had to push those feelings back down, deep inside. Those were a luxury that she could not afford, not with so much work left to do. As she steeled herself again, ignoring the itching of her healing wounds, she placed her hand on the ID pad, opening up the entrance back down into the bunker. As she made her way to the command center, she passed Lilith standing in the corner, next to the newly promoted Captain Stein. Officer, on deck. The assembled staff rose in unison and saluted. As you were. We have work to do, people. Modus, bring up the active rosters and assignments, please. Lieutenant Colonel Valeria, Field Operations Commander, New Enclave, reporting for duty. Long gone are the days where people sing about West Virginia as almost heaven. After nuclear war and disease, it's far from heaven now. Far From Heaven, a Fallout 76 story podcast, is a tale of survival, conflict and hope set in the Fallout 76 game world. Join our survivors on their journey to reach that almost heaven once more. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon and many other great podcasts and apps. Far From Heaven. Fallout 76 story, available now. Somewhere in the mire, southeast of Freddy's House of Fears. (laughs) 
The large explosion tore a huge crater in the Appalachian roadways, sending super mutant bits and pieces for hundreds of yards in every direction. After the ground stopped shaking, Lieutenant Colonel Valeria peeked over the burn beside the roadway, looking for any sign that their quarry might have escaped the blast, but all she could see was a large smoking hole in the ground. Damn it, Lilith! Next time, try not to wake up every creature in Appalachia! I think they heard that back at the White Springs. My ears might not stop ringing for a week. Major Lilith was picking small bits of super mutant off her overcoat and put a couple in her mouth, something the colonel pretended not to see. Well, Val, you know how I like to experiment a bit. Stein helped me with the concept. Thought it would be fun to see what a little mix and match would do. Who knew that a nuke quantum fusion cores and a mini-nuke could be quite that exciting? Major Lilith was beaming, a bit like a kid in a candy store. At least that's the expression the colonel's parents used when she was growing up. Of course, the colonel had never seen a candy store, but she was sure the analogy was apt. The two Enclave officers picked themselves up and walked over to do a thorough inspection of the damage. They had been tracking a particularly large group of super mutants making their way through the mire. Modus had first alerted them via surveillance from the Kovac Muldoon satellite, and first-hand recon identified at least two dozen of the vile creatures. That many super mutants would ordinarily deserve the attention of at least a full team, but Valeria, recovered from her injuries from Atlas, had wanted to prove, both to herself and the rest of the new Enclave, that she was back. She and Lilith had spent two days tracking the mutants as they made their way through the mire. They seemed to be in no particular hurry, but the closer they got to the Savage Divide, the more likely it was that they'd meet up with reinforcements, or worse, stumble on other Enclave operations in the area. Lilith had recommended that they circle around, ahead of the group, along their most likely path, and she would prepare a bit of a surprise for them. They found a bottleneck in the road, along with a path between two wrecked cars. Oh, this will be perfect. Colonel Valeria stood overwatch while the Major unpacked her bag of tricks. Valeria knew better than the question Lola's expertise with explosives, because it was no one better in the Enclave, with maybe the exception of Captain Stein, when you had to make something disappear in the largest and loudest way possible. Will you please hurry up? The Meyer always creeps me out. I don't want to be standing out here in the open any longer than necessary. The wind was whistling through what were now called strangler vines, strange red roots that seemed to grow on, over, around, and in just about everything in this region of Appalachia. If I hurry too much, Val, it'll be us going boom and not those muties. Modus would be so disappointed if we didn't get back in one piece. Well, mostly one piece anyways. After a few more minutes of tinkering, the Major gave the thumbs up, and they both hurried back behind the little hill overlooking the road. Within the hour, they could hear the super mutants coming down the road. They were never quiet, never subtle, and you could smell them from a mile away. Ugh. I really wish Lilith would stop fiddling with that detonator. She always seems to need to be doing something, and I'd prefer that whatever it was she was doing didn't involve getting us blown up. Colonel Valeria raised her head above the lip of the berm. The group of super mutants were slowly filing down the road. The skirmishers were out front, followed by the more heavily armed warlords in the back. She grimaced. There were even more of them than they had originally thought. It was a good thing they had decided on the indirect approach, because this many would have been a problem. A big problem, even for the two of them as heavily armed as they were. As the column reached the bottleneck, they all started to bunch up as they threaded their way between the cars. Of course, they also smashed and kicked their way through the obstacles as well, and the colonel winced, afraid that those blows would prematurely set off the explosives. Fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. Okay, that's all of them. Blow it. <laughs> Big boom.
Afterwards, having picked through the very small remains of what had been a large group of super mutants, the colonel turned to Lilith to give her orders to move out, when they both heard the sound of something in the distance. Oh, heck. Lilith, you woke up a Scorch Beast. Maybe more than one by the sounds of it. Sorry, Val. Just grab your pack and let's get out of here. I'm not keen on trying to fight those things in this foliage. We wouldn't be able to see it until it was right on top of us. Lilith just shrugged and threw her pack on her shoulders and the two of them sprinted down the road, even as the sound of wings and screech got closer and closer. From their previous experiences in the area, the road opened up ahead into a clearing, but on the other side, near the Thunder Mountain nuclear plant, there were plenty of places to lie low until the giant mutated bats got bored and flew away. Instinctively, they knew the plan, as contingencies had always been accounted for, especially if an operation went sideways. Holy shit, Val. Would you look at that? The colonel stopped dead in her tracks and could barely believe her eyes. If she was worried about the scorched beast behind her, what was in front might have been even worse. Oh, no. There, straddling the road, in the middle of the very clearing they had to cross to get to safety, was a virtual battle royale of the worst creatures in Appalachia. Like some demented sporting event, more than a dozen animals and cryptids were fighting each other. There were two glowing wendigos facing off against an albino deathclaw, with three yagwai tearing into a megasloth, with mirelurk kings and ghouls adding to the mix as well. In the brief moment she had to contemplate the carnage, Valeria suspected that the Major's bomb woke everyone up, and this was bad. Very, very bad. The sounds behind them grew louder, even as the battle in front became even more intense. We're fucked, Val. Not yet we aren't. Move it! Valeria shoved the Major into a small ditch by the side of the road, also partially obscured by a concrete road divider. They lay down as flat in the ditch as they could, and just in time as the canopy above them exploded. Two scorch beasts dove through the trees into the clearing. In all the commotion, the other creatures didn't even see them until they were on top of them. But when they did, it was like another bomb went off, and they all went wild. Don't move. Don't make a sound. But I want to see. Lilith could barely control her desire to watch the unmitigated carnage happening above. The concaphony of sound was an assault to their ears. The screams, the howls, and the screeches seemed to go on forever, even if the total time was measured in mere minutes. A Yagwai must have been physically launched by one of the Scorch Beasts, as its corpse landed on top of their trench, its head nearly detached from a decapitating blow, blood seeping from the wounds down around them and mixing with the mud to create an awful concoction. Valerius slapped Lilith's hand as she reached up to grab a piece of the corpse. Don't even think about it, Lilith. You never let me have any fun, pirate lady. One by one, the sounds of each creature were cut off, either mid-scream or with a slow gurgle. The ground even shook as what must have been the Megasloth fell over and died. All that they could hear was the sound of the wounded shrieking of one of the Scorch Beasts. Let's move. Quietly, this time. They slowly picked themselves up off the bottom of the trench, using the dead Yagwai as a handhold. Climbing back up to the road, they surveyed the clearing. It was filled with the bloody corpses of creature after creature, laying splayed out, gutted, and some even laying on top of each other. I thought they smelled bad when they were alive. What? I think they smell good. Even better now that they've been tenderized. 
In the far corner of the clearing, the last survivor of the epic encounter, a gravely wounded Scorch Beast, was attempting to fly away. One of its wings had been mangled during the fight and hung down loosely on its side. Instead, it half-hopped, half-waddled, side to side. Lilith, let's not wake the neighborhood again. Valeria flipped the safety on her rifle and took aim at the head of the wounded beast. The Major pulled out her handmaid and followed the colonel's lead. The creature barely had time to register them before three quick silent bursts from both weapons stitched across its head and put the creature down permanently. With the clearing now, well, clear, Valeria had her fill for the day. The original mission was complete, and the way back south was open for them. Damn it, Lilith, could you please hurry up? We need to get to Berkeley Springs by tomorrow morning to meet the extraction team, and are those ghoulin trails? What? Ugh, just clean yourself up before we get to Berkeley. Hi, I'm Fire Rider, and I'm the host of The Pixel People, a podcast dedicated to taking a close look at our favorite characters from our favorite video games. From major characters who define the course of a game's storyline, to smaller characters who you might have never noticed. Every week, we go beyond the quest line to examine a particular character's story arc and choices, and discover the real-world parallels and life lessons hidden just below the surface. I hope you'll join us. You can find the Pixel People on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. Sergeant Major Edward Muller reluctantly turned off his shower before grabbing a towel from the nearby rack. It had been so long since he'd had a real shower, he'd forgotten what it felt like. Real, hot running water. And soap. Real, honest-to-goodness American-made soap. It was almost enough to forget what happened in Atlas. And hell, even that week in the brig. Muller threw the towel around his waist and walked over to the bathroom sink. Wiping away the mist from the mirror, he looked at himself. Clean-shaven for the first time in years, he could read the stories of the last two decades written in the lines on his face. And the scars, too. Just what kind of a place is this? An old government bunker being run by a bunch of kids? Vault kids, even? Not that I have anything against vault tech, it's just... Well, okay. Really weird. And this enclave business. Never heard of it. Not before the war, certainly not after. Hell, I spent years up in Canada after the annexation doing counterinsurgency for a man in the front lines around Anchorage. Even got a commendation from General Chase himself. Then they shipped me off to southern China. Damn, it was nice to take the fight to the commies for a change. Once I rotated out, ended up back in D.C. Colonel Santiago had requested his reassignment to her brigade. Ah, crud. Still living in the past, Muller. Muller finished drying off and went over to his bed. The Colonel. Damn. How the hell am I supposed to think of that kid as my commanding officer? At least she sent over a new uniform, but she did say she'd try to get logistics clean off my old ones, only for sentimental reasons. Putting on the pants and the undershirt, he left the tunic on the bed. Ah, hell. 
I'm not planning on going anywhere for a while. Finally told me they'd gotten my armor back from Atlas, at least. It's been mine for, what, 25 or so years? Hell, the Colonel, if she didn't bring it back, I'd go out and get it myself. I'd be damned if I let anyone else put their mitts on my armor. Well, at least once it's back here. Hope it's not too badly damaged, but they do have one hell of a machine shop downstairs. Haven't seen that much tech since Ford Independence. That was back in 77. But those pukes in logistics had me make an appointment, an appointment, to get the tour and get access to the armor. Who the hell makes you schedule an appointment after the apocalypse? expecting any visitors. Well, hello there, Sergeant. It was the newly promoted Captain Stein, with a six-pack of Blackwater Brew in one hand and a lit cigar in the other. I do not know what to make of this guy. He's a vet. That's what I do know. Not from Vault 76. Showed his face while I was cooling my heels down in the brig. Wasn't in the mood to say much. I saw him around, but never even got a hello. Stein didn't wait to be invited in. Just brushed past the sergeant and walked into the room. Well, it looks like you're settling in just fine. Stein looked around the sergeant's quarters, which were nearly as spartan as his own. Personal effects didn't travel well through the decades, in either of their cases. <laughs> Why don't you make yourself at home, Captain? Stein flopped down on the couch, putting the beer on the table. Oh, Mueller, you can leave the officer bullshit at the door. We're both too damn old to deal with that crap in private. Stein reached into his tunic pocket and pulled out another cigar, handing it over to Muller, who gladly took it. Putting it under his nose, he could smell real tobacco, which was as rare as hen's teeth nowadays. Where the hell did you manage to get Cuban cigars? Stein flicked his gold-plated lighter and lit the end of his, taking a long drag, savoring the bitter taste before blowing a perfect smoke ring into the air. <laughs> oh, this? You'd be surprised what the bigwigs stored away around here. Not just in the bunker, but the presidential cottage up in the resort as well. They've held up pretty well for being twenty-plus years old. Stein tossed over his cigar cutter and lighter, and soon the two of them were puffing away. Seeing a man enjoy a fine cigar... I figured you're all right, Sergeant. Just Muller, like you said. You can save the official bullshit for on the job. Why don't you hand me one of those beers, too? The sergeant never figured he'd find himself smoking a real Cuban cigar and drinking a cold brew ever again. It was like he had died and gone straight to heaven. But there's always a catch, and he figured Stein wasn't here out of the kindness of his heart. This is great and all, but what do you want? Whatever do you mean? Cut the crap. I've been buttered up by folks better than you, with a hell of a lot more brass, too. What's your angle? <laughs> the colonel was right again. You're one hell of an old warhorse, and you're smart, too. But she didn't send me here or anything. I'm just curious is all. I heard some of what you told the folks upstairs. Thought I should hear it for myself instead of trusting gossip. Leaning back, Muller looked the captain up and down. He was a shrewd judge character, which is why he was still alive, and he had questions of his own, too. I'll make you a deal, Stein. Bit of give and take, if you will. See, 
I came to Appalachia looking for someone. And maybe, just maybe, you can fill in some gaps for me. Deal? Cocking his head to the side, Stein considered the offer. He suspected he knew what Muller was looking for. Information that not too many people still around knew about or needed to know. You got yourself a deal. So, what do you want to know? Santiago. It was a single word, a single name, but it had so much more meaning behind it. Colonel Santiago, commanding officer of the U.S. 2nd Brigade, stationed at Fort Independence outside of Washington, D.C. on October 23, 2077, and Sergeant Muller's commanding officer. Ah, I figured. Stein put down his cigar and beer before leaning back on the sofa. Yeah, I knew her. Met her when she arrived here with the rest of her men. What she told us about what happened in D.C., we just couldn't even imagine. What happened to her? What the hell happened here? Well, the truth is, because of President Chucklefox, Thomas Eckhart to his friends, if the man had any, got everyone here killed, including my wife and child. A lot of bad stuff happened here. Experiments the likes of which you probably wouldn't even believe if it wasn't a science fiction feature. Plus, Eckhart decided the war with China wasn't quite over yet. Wanted us to get the silos working just to nuke the place. Santiago, she went with the program for a while. But in the end, she tried to put a stop to it. Hell, I probably would have done things differently if I had the choice again. But, as I learned long ago, the world doesn't run on what-ifs. Neither should we. I'm sorry, but... Not one of them deserved what happened. Well, almost no one. Well, shit. Guess if I'd followed her, I wouldn't be sitting here now either. I'll spare you the gory details, though maybe if you get us really drunk, I'll tell you anyway. But what about you? Time to cough up your end of the deal. We all saw DC get hit. Hell, Colonel thought it was another drill when the sirens went off. She tried to raise command, even called the White House. It was like they all left town. The brigade hunkered down till it was over, then things got worse. Besides all the dead, so many refugees and survivors. We tried to help, and there was no chain of command, nobody in charge. Then it turned into a free-for-all. Made some real hard choices back then. At least we still had our power armor, which kept the worst troublemakers away. Santiago just got mad. She wanted to do something. Anything. She lost her family, like a lot of us. Then we got word of some government out here in Appalachia. So she ordered us to up and get on the road. Well, that didn't sit right with me and the rest of the battalion. We thought we could still help, you know? Be a force for good and all. So we had a sit-down with her. We weren't trying to disobey orders or anything. But we voted, and told her we were going to stay. She and I went way back, fought together more than a few times, saved her ass just as she saved mine. Finally, she reached across the table and took my hand, wished me good luck, and said she would forget the eighth, just in case someone in charge wanted to know what happened or wanted to send somebody after us. Last I saw of her was the rest of the brigade heading down the old interstate. The eighth... Well, 
We did what we could for as long as we could. Never got better. Only degrees of worse. Lost Captain Taylor about ten years ago, leaving me in charge of what was left. We ended up as far south as Richmond, up to the ruins of Wilmington, and even just outside of Philadelphia. More mercenaries than soldiers. Between disease, combat, and desertions, there weren't many of us left at the end. Kept a few suits of power armor running on whatever we could find, and I tried to keep the men from turning raider. That worked until Towson. We were guarding a small refugee camp that was under threat from local raiders. Corporal Phelps sold us out. He fell in with one of the raider girls and led us into an ambush. Little fucker. Tore him apart with my bare hands when I finally caught up with him a few days later. When we got back, we found the rest of the gang had burned the camp to the ground. That was it for the rest of the guys. By the next morning, I was the only one left. I buried the dead, climbed into my armor, and never looked back. Spent some time guarding caravans up in Pennsylvania. Something kept nagging at me. Figured I owed it to myself to find out whatever happened to the colonel. Didn't quite make up my mind until we ran across some very scared refugees near Scranton. Talking about flying demons and some kind of weird disease. All coming out of Appalachia. Figured I was just about at the end of my rope anyway. So I walked out into the mountains. Never ever expected I'd end up here. Ah. Damn. That's... Hell man. That's something else. But there's something I don't understand. Why Atlas? How the hell did you end up running into us? Oh, that? Well, you can see the place from miles away. I was running low on fusion cores and it looked like a decent enough place to find some. And fuck all if I don't run into what looked like a demon. Demon? Oh, that's just Lilith. And monsters the likes I've never seen. And I've seen some pretty weird shit in my day. Feel god-awful about what happened. Stein handed the sergeant another cigar. I get it. The colonel's tough, but she's fair. Trust me, if she didn't believe you'd fit right in, you wouldn't be here drinking my beer and smoking my cigars. Muller cut the end of the cigar, then hesitated as he flicked up on the lighter. Yeah, about her. I mean, she's just a kid. I'd be lying if I didn't think the same thing. At first... All these kids running around acting like soldiers and all that. The colonel? She's different. She actually has a plan. It's a long story, which I promise I'll tell you over a whole lot more beer. But we got a real chance here to do something good. You're just seeing a small slice of Appalachia. There are things out there a hell of a lot worse than what was living in Atlas. Damn. <laughs> I'm smart enough to know I'm not getting the whole story, but what options do I have? Stein was right that he'd seen just a little bit of Appalachia, and of what else he heard, especially about those scorched things, was true. And maybe he was right where he needed to be. You know, Stein, I ain't got nowhere else to go. And I'm sure none of these kids know their way around power armor like I do, so maybe I can do some good. <laughs> well, us old farts have to stick together after all. Though I told the colonel I wasn't going out to change any diapers... That managed to get a belly laugh out of Muller. Ah, the good old days, he thought. Shepherding new lieutenants out on their first assignments, making sure they didn't do anything stupid. All right, Stein. Hell, 
You probably had me with these damn cigars. So, I gotta ask, what the hell is up with that Lilith girl? Rolling his eyes, Stein grabbed the last beer from the table. Well, hell, we don't have enough beer or cigars for that particular conversation. Why don't we head down to the commissary? At least until the colonel gets back. I can usually sneak a few more bottles. Then maybe we could talk about the major. It's a deal, Stein. Let's go get drunk. Modus switched off the internal feed to Sergeant Muller's quarters. Other recording devices would keep tabs on the two, but he had what he required. The colonel correctly anticipated that Stein would attempt to bond with the sergeant, securing his unique skills for their little enclave. The AI looked forward to debriefing the colonel when she returned from her most recent assignment. Stein was proving to be as useful as he had calculated, and despite the setback at Atlas, everything was going according to plan. Our cast of characters have all arrived at the White Spring for their own reasons, some running away from their past or running towards a very uncertain future, and Modus has plans of his own. As one journey ends, their collective journeys begin, and Appalachia will bear witness. Thank you again, members, for joining us here on The Modus Files. If you've enjoyed this content, please subscribe, and better yet, please leave a review to help others find our little enclave. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Modus Files, for more information about our podcast, Fallout 76 content, and random musings on the Enclave. I'd also like to thank our cast, Mandy Marie B. as Lieutenant Colonel Valeria, Lucy Middleton as Major Lilith, XO1 King as Sergeant Stein, and Brad Williams as the voice of Modus, and Sergeant Muller. We'd also like to thank the Mr. Jones Show for providing our podcast cover art. You can find him on Twitter, at Blanken Media. And a shout-out to the Apocalyptic Aristocracy Discord, home to a great group of fellow creators, the Robots Radio podcast community and the rest of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, and Jeremiah Johnson, our favorite character artist, who provided the wonderful character artwork you can find on our website. Lastly, thank you to all of our subscribers and supporters. God bless the Enclave, and God bless America. Members, we look forward to your next visit to our little Enclave. <laughs>